Morning, fuckers. This is by all means necessary the podcast, and I am in a great mood because it's sunny. But somehow, I have the longest case in front of me, and it's like a fucking sauna in here because I'm not opening the windows in order to avoid all of the sounds. Okay, it's just the price you have to pay for sounding even remotely professional. Speaking of professional podcasting, I think it was Red Handed share on Instagram like their booth. So it's called Isovox booth basically it is kind of like soundproof studio within your home that would make me so paranoid like you guys know what makes me paranoid it's pretty much everything like when i go out on the street or even inside my house so yeah that would definitely be like such a paranoia thing it's just like every time you have to sit in here just like put your little head into a box I'm not dissing them. It's like if it's perfect sound. It's just for me. I've researched a lot of hostage cases. Okay, it will be too much girl in the box kind of situation. I don't want this in my life. Okay, well, I'm gonna probably sweat a lot during this episode. Yeah, you have that in mind because it's a longest case that's gonna have like a timeline. Because we're speaking about a bank robbery. We're going up north, not like up north to like Manchester. Also, it's not actually up north. It's more like we're going east if we are thinking UK. Ah, genius. So we're going to Sweden. Let's dive in. Between 23rd and 29th of August 1973, four hostages were held in. Norrmalmstorg Bank in Stockholm, Sweden. Their captor was Jan Olsen, a convicted bank robber who created a plan from prison to bargain hostages for his ticket out of the country. The events of the robbery will further coin the term Stockholm Syndrome. Bank robberies are not always motivated by profit only. This is a story of one of those cases. We've got our crime, we have our perp. What were his motives? So the discovery session for this week's podcast is gonna kind of treat both discovery and the robber in itself, and then we're just gonna go in the background of the hostages and the captors to understand the motivation behind, well, like, actually here we're gonna have some background of the hostages, so you'll kind of understand the motivation of them working for that bank in the first place as well. And hopefully it kind of explains the Stockholm Syndrome, to the best of my ability, by the way, because even I'm like... This case pissed me off so many times. You'll hear why. You'll hear how. Okay, so, August 23rd, 1973. It's 10.15am. You're there, right? Jan Erik Olsen is walking into Stereos Kreditbanken in Stockholm. He has prepared for this event. He has dyed his moustache, he has a wig on, he has glasses. Kind of looks like freaking... what's his called? Billy Ray Cyrus? <laughs> a bit, a bit. Also, like, the deepest, darkest secret in my family. You ready for this already? No, you're never ready for my fucking family stories. Is that me and my bro used to watch Hannah Montana together? That was like our thing. No, that would be cool if, you know, I wasn't kind of like an early teenager, which means my bro is like a couple of years younger than me, so it was kind of really not particularly acceptable for any of us to be watching it. But yeah, we were really on it. At the time, it was kind of like a silent pack, like, yep, I have this on you. You know, if you tell anything. <laughs> If you fuck me over at school, we also went to the same school. This is why this was problematic. And also why it was a leverage. I was like, yeah, you you fuck me over? Mm-hmm. I'll tell everybody you still watch Hannah Montana. 
about 15 years later, I still have Best of Both Worlds on my phone in one of the playlists. It just bangs. Like, that song is just so appropriate in so many situations, okay? Don't ask me for my age, it's rude. <laughs> highly unacceptable. Also, there's movies made about this course with Americans because it's fucking ruin everything. It's like, why not have actual Swedes? Anyways, he goes in and there's every other, you know, great heterosexual, as I call them, every bank robber, he starts firing rounds through the machine gun into the ceiling, you know? He's like, yep, I'm here, this is a robbery. It's a classic sign. It's like when your drunk friend says, like, just let me, let me just have another drink. You, you just know immediately they're, they're drunk. <laughs> It's like a classic sign of a bank robbery versus, you know, a classic sign your friend is wasted. You should definitely not have another drink. Now, when everybody's, you know, everybody starts screaming. Also, why is that the most common human reaction? I mean, I know you don't know what's going on, you're in fear, somebody's shooting at you, but why Why are bank robberies always represented, well, at least on television, as like, yep, the shots are fired, and then immediately the crowd starts screaming, losing their minds, and going down on the floor. I'm like, every single time, I'm like, is this what I would actually do in a real-life situation? What would you do? Or like, have you actually been part? Oh, that would be cool. If you can email me, if you have actually been part of any like bank robbery or like any robbery anywhere and like have people actually reacted in that way because I was always interested every time I would see that portrayal on television. Anyways, he brought a radio with himself among other things. So he puts this radio on the teller counter and starts just playing rock music because it's him, it's his whole style right now. You know, that awkward moment when you get a new item and you gotta flash it out, but you're also stuck at a bank robbery, which you kind of got yourself into by your own reasoning. You're like, gotta use this radio, gotta get me some some tunes. No, guess what, that was not the main reason. He just wanted to hear when the news would be speaking about him, because this guy wanted some fame, you know, in the slides. Like, ooh, look at my new flashy radio, also played at all times, like a fucking maniac. If you actually write to me about a bank robbery, tell me what the most annoying thing was. Because I bet this would be pretty fucking annoying. Because you're like, if unless you listen to the exact same music as your bank robber, which, hey, you know, building report, yay. Just imagine, you're like already fucking a fucking hostage, and now you have to listen to some shitty music as well. Oh. Give us a break. He now tells the bookkeeper to tie the accomplices up. Let's just meet our hostages for a second. It's three women are the main hostages. So Christina, who is soon to be a social worker, she's 23 years old. Elizabeth, who is a socialite, she's 21, she's the youngest one in the group. And Birgitta, who is a mother of two, and she's 31. Now, the most of this information is from the Hostage podcast, and then they have the most information from the New Yorker article, because I've read both, and it's pretty much all of the information here is from the New Yorker, because the guy actually interviewed all of them a few years after this has happened, which is great, because we know what a lot of them have been actually thinking while this was going on. So, for example, Elizabeth, Elizabeth actually said that she was super calm, because she, in that moment, tried to disassociate. So, as we know, this can be uh, working as a great coping mechanism in a lot of hostage situations. So, she was just thinking about the crayfish bake that she has planned for that weekend. Apparently, the crayfish bake is a big thing in Sweden. Is that right? Are you doing the shit cray? Yep. It's the worst joke ever made. Now, again, something that I, I'm just... During this case, I have been fascinated by Swedes like about 100 times and just hated this guy 100 times over that. Apparently, in Sweden, you guys have silent alarms around the bank 
is this happening in the UK? Because I don't think so. But it's so fucking smart, because it's kind of like that button on the tube that you can press, like, if in danger. I'm like, why would only tellers have that option? So somebody tripped the silent alarm here. And I mean, as long as you impose it in that way, where it's like, hey, you're actually fine if you just trip this without actually real danger, or, you know, if you just waste it on the fucking tube. As long as that's in, in order, pretty much this is the smartest thing, like, somebody can set up. But in Jan's head, he always knew that, like, as long as he has hostages under control, he has this whole thing under control as well, this whole operation. No, spoiler alert, he doesn't, because this guy doesn't actually have plans of this bank to know, like, all of the exits, all of the entrances. He's just, although, like, quite smart to, like, plan this, the, the way he planned this out, also, like, gone into this quite blindly as well. So now a sergeant called Rilander, he walks in, and Ulsen speaks to him in American accent. He asks him for a high-rank officer, and Rilander is like, well, yeah, I'm not that, so I'll call somebody for you, who he is. And now Rilander goes away up to the second floor. So apparently this building had quite a few floors, and what frustrates me, and if there are any Swedes that are familiar with this strawberry, and have actually read article in Swedish, that would be one thing that hasn't been explained well in any any freaking articles and it's pissing me off and they're not like images. The only image of this place is either like of the bank outside, which gives me nothing, or it's of the hostages inside the vault, which I'll speak about later. But basically, the main frustration here is that they're not like images. I don't understand how this function. I know it's 1970s, so it was different kind of responses to robberies, so people could still probably walk in and move, move around as long as the robber had a gun. But if somebody knows, let me know about all of these things, about the actual architecture of this building, because I don't get how a lot of these things have been happening, okay? So as this guy went upstairs to call somebody who is more superior, one of the hostages snuck down the stairs who knew nothing about. So there's this staircase that will be prevalent in this story. And it's apparently within a bank, but like kind of hidden. Brigitta spots him and screams, don't shoot. So Olsen turns around and just shoots blindly and shoots Varga through his hand. So now the police loses this exit as an option of attack immediately. It like loses it as the point of ambush because Olsen is aware that it exists. And there's speculation why, like, why did Brigitte actually scream. People have since said it is for like stability reasons. So instability of any kind is already threat to hostages. So in her eyes, she saw the two threats at that moment. She just picked the one that was probably closer to her. So Rilander comes back and he's saying like the high-ranking officer is on his way. And Lucen is like, great, yeah, you sit down here and just like sing a random song because this guy just loves music. He just has a passion for it, guys. He then, after he finished singing, he was asked to take customers out of the bank and so that Usen only stays with the tellers, so that he only stays with the hostages that he can have control of, because it's like three hostages over however many customers there were in there. Now, negotiators arrive in form of Sven Torender, who is chief of police, and now is when Olsen makes his demands. So his demands are a large sum of cash and safe passage out of the country. So he wants three million kroner, which is about $700,000, and half-half in different currencies. 
then he wants bulletproof vests and helmets for the hostages and himself because he says he wants the hostages to accompany him on his way out and the final demand and the most the weirdest thing in this whole story is that he wants a man released from prison his name is clark olofsson so our man's man you know, doesn't actually have the authorities. Like, why did you even tell him any of this? Like, always up. He goes to ask for authority. Apparently, at this time in Sweden, basically, you're either like, from what I've gotten, <laughs> from what I gathered, you're either like a nobody or you're like working for the government. He goes straight to the Minister of Justice. You see what I'm talking about? So it's like you're a policeman, chief of police or Minister of Justice. Like, is there no like different rankings? Is this still the case? Minister of Justice, uh, Yeyer, turns up and he says everything is okay, yep, I tick all of these, like I approve of everything, but leaving with hostages. So yeah, you give us hostages and we'll give you Clark. Usen then, to prove that he means business, puts a machine gun into Elizabeth's temple. He's like, yep, nope. No, I just, I need everything. I want everything. I made my demands. Now the police is like, cool, 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 cool. Let's just try. Let's just start meeting the demands. Yeah, and can see. Let's just see the intellectual level of this guy. They set up the camp in front of the the bank, okay? They go full like La Casa de Papel. Yep, the carpa is up. Great. So, immediately they deliver 1.5 million kroner down those stairs. You see the stairs that I don't can't explain how they're in the bank, but also outside of the bank. How is everybody still moving around this area? Yep, that's the area. So he's now checking these notes and he realizes they're freshly printed, which means they can be tracked. So now he starts losing his mind. He wants untraceable money, so he wants like the used notes. But when he's told that he needs to wait for that money to, you know, for them to actually accumulate that amount of money, which is not just freshly printed, he starts losing it. Which is one thing we're gonna see a lot in this case. So it just goes from like completely calm and under control Olsen to the guy that just loses it and is like highly unstable. Now this guy, this guy can be compared with so many things. He's like a girl PMSing for the first time, right? Do you ever think about that when you had your first PMS? Like, no, nobody thinks about that because you just lived through it. But if you think about that, it's like that very first PMS when you don't understand why you're losing it and then you're completely normal the next moment. But it's happening and you are like living it. Or, 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 he's like a guy that leaves a relationship and then he's like really tough, like with his friends, like, no, I moved on, it's all great. Call me up some bitches, you know? And then 60 seconds later, it's like, I miss her. Her, bro i miss her or, or or i saved the best one for the last of course it's like when your parents divorce after being married for like a quarter of a century and then one second they're like no we split our friends this you cannot hang out with this person you cannot hear from this person again this is insane you choose your side are you gonna be with your mom like you choose it and then the very next moment they're like it's fine we are just here taking care of what's the best for the kids and you're just like which one is it man make up your fucking mind moral of the story somebody just let dynamite loose and then through a fucking match and you never know when the match is going to reach dynamite that's a shitty thing because the match is eventually gonna run out of the spark what the fuck <laughs> I think I gave you enough examples. Think about your first PMS, okay? <laughs> now they're like, okay, cool. He passed test number one, test number two. They park up a blue Ford Mustang in front of the bank so that he can see it. But again, he's like, this is too easy. They have monkeyed the car. They have probably concealed like a radar device or something that would just give away the location of it. And he was right for that matter because they have actually placed helicopters in the air as well. 
organized roadblocks because they actually i think like at this point they were like yep this guy just wants all of this let's figure it out in a day and this is gonna be done in the same day well spoiler alert it doesn't go that way so in terms of this the police is because they thought like everything is gonna be done in a day they're actually doing great jobs so Sector security exits of the city and also airports have had extra guards on them. Everybody's on, on high alert. And the car kind of has a tank full of gas, but they know like how far he can reach out with that car as well. And again, the ignition keys are not in there. They're with the police. What I think should have been the clue that this is not a one-day thing is once he gives the phone to the hostages to phone their families. So this is when like all of them try to reach them. Actually two of them can't reach their families and Brigitte can only reach the nanny of the kids. And after that she just breaks down crying and he like empathizes with her and she always says like how nice that was that you know somebody was actually caring about her and how she felt. Now to assess the whole situation, he actually walks around the bank, so he paces back, back and forth, but he is avoiding the windows and also uses the hostages as human shields, so they walk with him. But now this is the time to do it with some sick music. Because just imagine, like, you're outside, you're like, oh great, this is a professional guy, and you just, you just see somebody, like, slow-mo walking back and forth with, like, three other people that have been tied up. So this is when like the bank robbery meets the parody in my eyes because you know I'm like heavily matching it. Now they're actually pretty quick in complying with his first request which is releasing his maid Clark out of the prison and this is the first time Olsen starts speaking in Swedish and they're like oh okay he's not American. <laughs> Great. Also that whole front would have made sense maybe if he was actually planning to get the fuck out of there within like minutes or on that same day but that whole front of just like pretending to be American does not make any fucking sense like for the later events. Now the dynamic changes a bit when Clark is there. He kind of takes the lead during this first day. So he is the one now taking conversations, like starting conversations with the police. The hostages situation kind of improves. So they're released from their bonds. So they're not tied up anymore. And Clark starts like taking over the bank. He's kind of like moving around freely, which means he blows up a cash box and already takes 19,000 kroner from there. He also, by doing so, on the first floor discovers Sven Swaystrom, junior executive hiding in a stockroom and he invites him downstairs to have a drink. You know, you're one of us now, you're one of the hostages, let's do this. And what nobody expected is that this is gonna go into the night. Now, the night is approaching and Austin is kind of like, oh, where am I gonna place this newfound family? Where are we all gonna sleep? And he's like, whoa, light bulb moment. What do banks have? They have safes. This isn't like the best option because Elizabeth actually suffers from claustrophobia. So Ulsan actually is like, oh, that's all great. I am a generous guy. So I'm going to offer to tie a knot around your neck and let you kind of like be at the door of the wall. So, you know, you kind of guard it. Yeah. What I'm going to do, though, is like put this explosive underneath your legs so that you can't actually calm down or move or be comfortable in any way. Now, again, she describes this as like the, such an act of kindness, which makes me like completely just not understand Stockholm Syndrome. Because like, how do you, how do you not freak out this moment? How do you see this as an act of kindness? Because you like, you snooze, you lose, basically. At any point, a red flag should literally pop up being risen above your head. It is this. You're nice until now, you're a nice person, right? And this is when you stop, because you have dynamite underneath you. What the fuck? 
This guy is not taking care of you. He doesn't give a fuck about you. He's gonna blow you the fuck up. He's taking hostages. As chess players. It's like, that doesn't have any consideration towards you. Like, how are you still feeling gratitude and feeling like, oh, this is so great. Literally, if you move your leg differently, if you don't sleep in the stiffest position possible, you are gonna blow up yourself and everybody else. What is happening? Stop being nice. Be rude, stay alive, you know, the crime junkie rules, you know it. I put a red flag is all around, like, this is not the guy, this is not the guy you bring to your family to marry, okay? What psychologists have said, that this is because of the gratitude that accumulates once you have been denied, like, basic needs for a really long time. So now when you actually get them, so you get to go to the toilet, you get, like, some food or they let you sleep, you're suddenly, like, really grateful to the captor because you have been denied this, like, the whole day. So now, this vault is close to the toilet, so when they pass to the toilet, they also pass that staircase that I'm talking about, and he actually loses them out of sight for a brief moment, which is where the police officers are just, like, chilling. Like little monkeys on the trees, these, like, police officers are kind of there on the, on the staircase, like, shh, shh, listen. So Christine passed by and they asked her like to sort of point to how many hostages there are there and she pointed four with her fingers and she said like that just that act in itself made her feel like she was a traitor. So it's the first night, right? The police thinks they have the upper hand, Olson thinks he has the upper hand. And his job for Elizabeth that night is to just sit on her chair because she's claustrophobic one. She sits in front of the vault, well, in between the doors, and signals if the police was to appear. But now he's getting into his, like, paranoid anxiety state. So he's just like, he didn't plan for this to go overnight, so he's like, okay, how do I cut this out, but, like, for me to still profit out of it. So at 11pm, he calls the Prime Minister, Palmer. Okay, 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 what's up, Swedes? Do you just have, what, yellow books with the numbers of the people in the government? Presidents? Yeah. Monarchs? Do you have the monarchs number here? What is going on? How does this guy have the number? Also, he reminds me, again, yet again, yet another sad story, of a 15-year-old Maya who would just, like, target a person and be like, no, that person is going to be my friend. So I would ask them for a number. And then, as every normal friend does, I would message them at, like, 2 in the morning as, like, the first message. Totally not sending the wrong lesbian vibes. Mm -mm. It's always just like, hey, what's up? I'm what you doing? And they'll be like, this is slightly uncomfortable. Yeah, why is the Prime Minister chill for this guy to call him at 11 p.m.? Hello, there's some modales, okay? Don't call a person after like 8 p.m. What the fuck are you doing? They're just chilling, having downtime, getting late. Why is this guy in the office? Why is everything, anything happening here? And now it's kind of it's like important to understand this guy didn't have that much of an elaborate plan from the first point. Like, I mean, if that wasn't clear so far, because he's clearly going into the night, doesn't have like the plan of the building, people are passing by on the stairs, weird shit is happening. So he tells Palma that he either leaves with the hostages or hostages don't leave at all. And then Palmer is like, okay, convincing him, like, none of that is reasonable, what the fuck. So he's like, okay, cool, then you take place of the hostages. And to show that he isn't playing, he lifts Elizabeth from her chair and, like, wraps his hand around her neck and starts choking her. So it's, like, close enough to the phone for Palma to hear her and asks him to make a choice. And he puts, like, one minute of the clock. So it's, like, 59, 58, time is going down and the line cuts off. So, like, sort of just before she was to pass out, he loosened the grip and hung up on the phone. Elizabeth sits down in her chair and just, you know, tries to calm down, go to sleep. And this story gets to go on for five more days. 
Now, before we move on to the events of the other five days, let's have the Stockholm Syndrome Corner. Just because for you to understand deeper the relationships between the hostages and the captors, let's just, you know, discuss Stockholm Syndrome in a couple more details. Stockholm Syndrome was coined by Nils Peyerot after this robbery, but the actual syndrome was first recognized in the world with Frank Hochberg, the American psychiatrist. After he testified during the Ariel Castro hearing, Ariel Castro, if you remember, is the um, son of a gun who like kidnapped the girls and kept them for over a decade. It's the case that I said I will never cover just because it's too brutal and too makes me too nauseous. So Ogberg further developed the syndrome and he said it had three parts. It consisted of three elements. So first one is that the parts that generate attachment and even love on the part of the hostages for the hostage holder. Second part happens after that one and is in reverse. So it's when the kidnapper actually reciprocates this and begins to care about the victim or the hostage. So he actually says that's why like the police and the psychiatrist or negotiators actually want to generate this syndrome if they can when dealing with hostage situations because they want to humanize them to the captors. And the third element is both parties' mutual contempt for the outside world. Very early on, they are denied the ability to speak, to move, to use the toilet, to eat. And then when they're given these gifts of life, and as they receive them, they have the feelings. So usually have them when we are infants and we are just close to the mother because we completely depend on that person. Which reminds me, oh my god, okay, so like... You guys know what topics I have covered, you know, like what shit I research and what triggers me and what doesn't. Recently, I have discovered a completely new trigger because I've listened to the podcast that covered rebirthing. That triggered me more than the case of fucking Ariel Castro. It was just so disturbing to listen to it. It's like, it's worse than freaking exorcisms. It, it's just, I cannot rationalize it in any way. And it's not like common practice, but it's just the area of crime where I'm like, this is not, this, this is not real. Yeah, I got reminded of it because he said like, yeah, going back to, to what you felt like as an infant and going back to like your basic instincts. Because rebirthing is basically trying to connect you to, you know, your adoptive parent, I don't know, surrogate parent, when you didn't have any bonds as a child. It is reintroducing that in the form of rebirthing, but it's just too disturbing. It just, no, and usually ends in death, because, like, people who try to pretend like they're qualified and know what they're doing, they don't. Okay, yep, so, yeah, just go listen to, I think it was red-handed if you want to get a bit triggered. Yeah, what are your triggers, guys? So, going back to the story, also know now that these hostages are only as good as he uses them to show his power. So this night, it, in particular, is the basis for the Stockholm Syndrome, you know, in this particular situation. Because, again, he has the whole power over them while they're sleeping in that world. And Elizabeth, who is guarding it, actually kind of woke up, like, shivering during the night, and Usain just wrapped a jacket around her, and she remembers this as such a nice and faultful act. So, again, as Niels Beroth said, the main thing about the Stockholm Syndrome is that you unconsciously form a bond with the hostage taker, while the outside world poses a threat, and we're gonna see that a lot during the next five days. So we'll see a lot of this us versus them mentality. Now I put the day two happens, and something as weird, so weird and unnecessary for my own plot happens. Also, he's like, we don't have alarm clocks, so I'm gonna wake these fuckers up by firing against some bullets into the ceiling. 
Like, mate, if you came in there, like, don't use those bullets. Don't you need them for later? Anyways. So, they're all walking up and he is kind of like weirded out because like on those stairs there's somebody that's calling him Kai. And Kai was another famous bank robber at the time. And so somebody mixed those two up. They thought like that Olsen was Kai. And this was his brother out there because like the police was like, oh yeah, let's bring the brother there to rationalize with him a bit. But now this is so offensive apparently to Olsen himself. And to Kai, who is extradited in Hawaii, who is like chilling at this safe location in Hawaii. But this causes actual Kai to make a phone call to the police, which means they could pinpoint his location, he was extradited and in prison. All of this is just so fucking dumb, but it just speaks to, well, I think it speaks to Usain's mentality of like, he's tough, he's the main bank robber, like, don't compare me to the other bank robbers of this world, because, you know, this is my kind of situation, this is my show. Now is when he starts requesting, because he's like, yep, we're already sleeping here, so he requests bedding and food, and the police asks to personally come in and inspect the hostages. So after this inspection, the police officers come out baffled because they're saying like, basically it's kind of, it looks like a group of friends. Which for me, like, if I was to go and witness that, I would be like, did they all plan this together? Like, are these tellers behind this kind of thing? Because they're not behaving hostile. In fact, the people that they were hostile to was the police. It was kind of like judgmental looks like, why are you ruining this? <laughs> they're clearly here having a blast with these robbers. Why do you have to shit on our parade? Mm. Shit on our parade. It's just like spitting. Why is that other ridiculous expression I invented? Chewing it up and spitting it out. Something like that. I don't even remember. Yeah, shitting on, on your parade is something I use on the regular. I just don't like rain on your parade. Like, no. Imagine how much more tragic and intense it would be if it was just shitting from the sky on your parade. Mm, that's why I use it. Intensity. Drama. Poetry. Okay, get the fuck Move on. So Lindroff, the police officer, comes out and says that basically he gives the statement to the media that they're all behaving as friends. So the family is now outside, you know, where the tent is, and they're thinking like, wow, these, like, my freaking daughters and son are actually aiding the criminal. So the police is like, cool, let's put them on the phone again now with this information to try to sort of break them down. And Brigitte is again the one that breaks down because, well, she has a family and two kids. I get I'm a, an armchair detective here, but why not use Birgitta since the beginning if you're a police? She's clearly the weakest link in this whole situation. This whole underwhelming robbery wouldn't be lasting this fucking long if they just used her from the, since the beginning. Just to influence her and then she influences the other robbers because she's clearly the most emotional one. Ugh, people. Now imagine like you're on the other side of that phone call, right? So you're speaking to a loved one that's inside the like robbery kind of situation and they're saying that they're safe with the robber and the biggest threat for them is actually the police. Like what would you think? Would you actually believe that they're not in on it or would you actually like think about Stockholm Syndrome? Okay, now Olsen, as we know, he's starting to lose his mind again. Guys, he finally got his period and just refused to tell the mom about it. So he just threw a pair of underwear in the garbage and thought, you know, that, that will pass. It's not period. Nope, of course not. I would know if I've got my period. And then, of course, because it's logical, nobody will check the garbage and feel the smell of the blood. Mm-mm. They're just gonna think like it's normal for you to throw your underwear into the garbage. <laughs> what? personal story? No, no, this is a legit story from the newspapers mm -hmm. in Sweden, in the National Bank, while this is happening. Mm. 
another legit account of events that only people from Balkan and from like this part of Europe will actually be able to relate to is that no matter how low-key you keep getting your period like your mom is going to call all of the aunties gonna call the whole family to be like oh my god she is a woman now she is a woman and you're just gonna die inside there's no way of escaping it doesn't matter it doesn't matter how much you can throw all of your underwear <laughs> you throw all of your underwear in the garbage mm, it still doesn't work let's go continue with the real story not that this was not real this is very real okay see he's kind of like ruminating on what happened last night right he had a call with the prime minister and he was the one that kind of lost the power after it so he's like okay how do i recover this power i'm the man fuck i fuck everything that happened he <laughs> pulls sven aside poor fucking sven also love that name because you're just so typically northern like nobody else will name a child sven okay so as you do if he, if you are a bank robber if you're a respectable guy who is trying to show his power you pull your hostage to the side and you try to convince them to shoot them in the leg Sven again is like super nice he is like trying to deny this in the nicest way possible but now Christina overhears it and she comes and like tries to convince Sven and she, like all of them are super fucking nice this is killing me in this whole story Christine is like don't be a pussy Sven like it's just a shoot in the leg like how kind is this guy to offer not to shoot you to actually kill you but just to shoot you in the leg and not hit the bone like now they all decide that Sven is going to give him a signal once he's ready to be shot in the leg. But Sven is just like, never does. He's <laughs> like, yeah, I, I fucking actually like this leg a lot. Like, like, I walk on them. So it's yet another night and no movement has been made. It's like the most underwhelming bank robbery ever. So this evening, they have a different approach. Christine actually calls Palma, and this call has been recorded and she listened to it afterwards. So this call lasts for about 42 minutes. And she is trying to convince the Prime Minister that she wants to leave with the captors. So this is like a rough translation from it. Quote, I fully trust Clark and the robber. They haven't done anything to us. On the contrary, they have been very nice. But you know, Olaf, what I'm scared of is that the police will attack and kill us. I want you to let us go away with the robbers. Give them the foreign currency and two guns and let us drive off. End quote. And like, there is a script in this New York article. It just basically goes back and forth from Palma is trying to be like, well, come on. Like, how rational this is. Think about this. And she's just like, nope, the police is the bad guy. It's literally just like this. And I'm like, this is second day. How is everybody like this brainwashed at this point? Now, this evening, it's kind of like, again, I think this is day two or day three. But there's like, starts to be the bonding gets even a bit weirder. Because their sleeping arrangements are kind of like slightly off so basically in the interviews afterwards admits that she used to hold hands with clark so like her and clark were both like well young and attractive and they were like yeah he provided me with support so you know if i had to like cuddle up at night or you know just hold hands with a guy that was it okay not judging here but this is day two in a freaking robbery i know the tensions are high i understand everything but come on, get a grip. There are other people there that need to sleep to you just like cuddling with a fucking robber. What is happening? Also, who is awake? Who is taking, having a lookout at those stairs and everything? This reminds me of a yet another sad life story in the life of Maya when we went onto like a school trip by the end of a school year when we were 14, 15. And you know how it, when you uh, come from Balkan and you know, everybody is looking to get the cheapest accommodation. So there's like five beds in one room. 
and a lot of horny teenagers. So of course, what I find out is, uh, when I woke up the, the one of the mornings, is that my mate like is hooked up with some guy, and they were making out like literally right next to me. It was like sardines kind of <laughs> like level of accommodation and was just making out during the night I was like great yep I will never figure out of course also it doesn't happen if you giggle in the morning in any of those situations mm, doesn't really work for your case this podcast is just eventually going to turn into a sequence of just sad events that make up my life sounds like it's heading that way and then there's an account also where Olson made well, advances towards one of the women that stayed anonymous and he basically proposed to like have sex with her but instead she offered to get him off. You know, just your typical Robert Kepter experience. So, day three, they send this officer mom to actually kind of check the situation. So again, this bank is basically open doors. It's like a fucking flea market. Everybody's going in and out as they please. This guy goes in and he actually spots nobody's awake. Like, everybody's tired down. They're all in the wall. You would think, like, this is where it ends, right? Except if you can count, there's still more days to this. But basically... This is not where it ends. This guy goes in and you would think like he would go out or like try to alert the police. I mean, what he does is brave and smart if you think about it. But like this could have all ended if he just managed to like alert the police and then they all barged in. No, okay. He goes to the vault and like shuts the door and manages to lock it from the outside. And now, when Olsen wakes up, this is when the real brainwashing begins. Because they're all locked in. Also, the switch was kind of on the outside, so they all have that weirdest fucking lighting on them. You know, like the hospital lighting. Or literally, every office I worked for never nailed the right lighting. I don't know why. I think that's why I'm sensitive to, like, any fake lightning in the in the rooms i just can't deal with it because it's just never like normal room lighting man it just always blinds you as fuck so they're just like blinding lighting all day all night they have no idea what day it is what night it is in that world but more importantly Usa now believes that the police is gonna use tear gas and he starts all day long telling the hostages how tear gas damages the brain for the rest of their lives they're gonna end up brain damaged and it's again him being like i'm not the i'm not the bad guy here i'm not gonna let you be scarred for life you know the police is gonna get against you his solution to this is he's gonna kill themselves like he's gonna kill them all and himself if the room is gas now when you flip the coin again Everybody's thankful because they're like oh my god he's gonna prevent us from being brain damaged for life like god save me just this whole case so quarantine mood is on right the police strategy now is to starve them all to like basically exhaust them all because the light is blazing all day all night deny them food and water in hope that like Usen actually is tired himself so he doesn't shoot everybody when they actually introduce this tear gas and inside they go on full quarantine mode because they're all bored they're all stuck in there they start up their routines they do like divide these things into like doing their own chores dining on like the leftover food as evenly as possible you know something we can all know a lot about right now they designate a toilet area which would totally be my kind of chore during the (laughs) 
<laughs> during this kind of situation, what would be yours? Would you be, you know, what chore would you be doing stuck in a bank vault? Okay, so now I found a really interesting quote because now they're all chatting shit, right? They're all just stuck in there, they have to talk. So Brigitte actually asked them, asked the pair of robbers why they actually haven't tried to hold down regular jobs. And what Clark says is, quote, we don't care to punch clocks. We don't like to take orders. He also says he agrees that there is the basis for prisons. But he says, but what What was the use of prisons if convicts had nowhere to go when they were released? They give you 50 kroner when you leave. What we really need is another chance to make ourselves a future, Clark said. So I think this kind of speaks to the mentality of Olsen and Clark and this like duo of robbers and how they see themselves like fitting into the society. The police kind of has the upper hand now, of course, because these are bitches that are literally locked in. But why they're not like immediately barging in is because they're technically thinking about this so they're digging the holes this is taking like some time and then they're thinking like how to again deploy this gas in such a way that that Austin doesn't shoot and doesn't actually kill everybody so he does a couple of things when they're drilling the holes one of them like more sensical like makes more sense than the others as they dig the first hole he throws an explosive up in the air and tells the hostages to open their mouths to equalize the pressure and again everybody's like oh my god this is so considerate of him like allow it allow it now it goes into the completely other extreme because they continue drilling and the drill cuts into the wall and cuts the cable so their light is cut off and they're now in complete darkness Again, because this is 1970s, I don't know if anybody there is using the drill can confirm that this is how you do it, because they're drilling the whole day, the drills are overheated, so now they are actually watering the drills. They're just like cooling them off with water, and the water is like seeping through the vault, and like these hostages who are like thirsty as hell are taking those drops from the carpet and from the floor. Now, a less sensical thing Austin does is, like, as they drill the holes, he tries to shut the holes with paper. It's only efficient. <laughs> it's only partially efficient. It's drill versus paper, mate. Like, you know, rock, paper, scissors, what wins? I actually still don't know how to play that game. God, I'm 27. I don't know shit about life. Extremes. It's like, doesn't know how to play rock, paper, scissors. Doesn't know how to live. Now, speeding up to day 5 into this thing, because basically it is as underwhelming, they're just shitting in a basket, these guys are drilling the holes, he is going around like chewing on caffeine tablets and trying to fill up holes with freaking paper. Soundproof studios, huh? Doesn't seem like such a bad idea now. Day 5. Okay, his idea now. Now, if, if somebody was to tell me this, I would be like, fuck Stockholm Syndrome. Fuck you, as my captor, what is this? What he does is... He creates nooses, first of all, where'd you get the rope, but anyways. He creates the nooses and puts them around the hostage necks and ties them like on the highest of the safety boxes in this vault. He is like now trying to, you know, screaming like so people upstairs hear him and he's threatening that like they're all gonna be hanged if they tear gas them. This is when the police is kind of like, okay, cool, let's try calm them down. They're clearly starved, yeah? They lower the beer and the sandwiches through these holes. But Olsen spots that the beer tops weren't on completely, so he's like, yo, this is um, those with sleeping pills, don't drink it. He was actually right. And now again, how kind of him, he allows the hostages to remove the nooses when they go to bed. Mate, 
you still know the news is they are waiting for you for the morning. Like, this doesn't do shit. Now, in the most underwhelming of the resolutions of this case, the police actually managed to, like, duggle the, the holes that they needed to spread out, you know, the tear gas equally in that vault. And on August 29th, 15 canisters of gas were released, with the officers and ambulances waiting outside. So Ulsan actually surrendered, he just like screamed, yeah, I give up, and like, he kind of didn't shoot, put his arm down. But what they found so strange, even outside, because they were like trying to escort hostages first, as you do, you know? And what they found strange is like, they were like coming out with them, so that people, you know, snipers or anybody doesn't actually shoot the captors. And the police is like, okay, calm down, like, we're not gonna harm them, like, this is so weird. Also, the hostages... They start hugging the robbers and saying goodbye. And like they're all kind of like saying goodbye in such a way where it's like, yeah, see you soon, you know? And the police is just like stunned all the time. And even at the trial, like these hostages actually spoke like in the defense of the robbers. So Clark went back to prison to finish his sentence. And there are reports that Christine actually had like a romantic relationship with him. Like, girl, I know it's hard, okay? I'm resisting pen palling a prisoner. Not in that way, but in a way of like, kind of like picking their brain as to why the fuck they, they stabbed uh, a person. Anyways, <laughs> personal story, different story. But like, you can't form this much of a bond with somebody for like six days. I just don't get it. Wilson got 10 years in prison and then he married, moved to Thailand. Now he's still alive, he's in Sweden selling cars. <laughs> it's like the underwhelming endings of this life. Why didn't he stay in Thailand? That would please be cooler than this. Also, has shown remorse for his actions as a habitual offender and has openly apologized to hostages and they're all like, no, it's great, this was such a great experience. Like, fuck me with this story, okay? Elizabeth went on to become a nurse, Christine is a therapist now, and Brigitte returned to work for the bank. That was like a couple of years after, so I don't know if they're actually doing these jobs right now, okay? And Christine listened to this call, even like after, like when she went to start, like to become a therapist, she listened to the call with the Prime Minister, and she said like still that she wasn't brainwashed, and like all she did was try to survive, but then again she said the police were the bad guys, and basically she trusted the captors more than she trusted the police. Now, to actually understand the motives of this extremely underwhelming robbery, Let's just discuss the background of the hostages and the captor. Jan Olsen was born in 1941 in the south of Sweden. He was a thief from his young days, so basically everything from home burglaries, where we have this beautiful event where apparently there was <laughs> this, like, he basically burglared somebody's house, and um, what they remembered about him is that he was, as he was robbing it, an old man, like, was in need of medication because he was, like, anxious and, and freaked out by this guy robbing his freaking house. And he apparently, in the midst of robbery, actually helped out this old man to get his medication and then just continued robbing them. <laughs> Again, as you do as a professional, like, the, the show must go on, it just must, for some reason, this guy was like, no, this is my job, I do it, I do it until I can't do it anymore, this, this guy is clearly not a threat, so yeah, I'm just gonna continue robbing their fucking house. So he was just developing his CV, he was de developing these skills for this ultimate robbery that just like was pointlessly dragged on for six days. And in Sweden apparently, well, at least back in the day, probably now as well, they did this thing which I, I mentioned in the other episode as, um, 
as my vision of like how prisons should operate with the least offensive like offenders, which is that they allow them to go out during the day and then they come back home, you know, they come back to their prison home to sleep there. So in prison, you know, our mastermind is thinking of a plan, he's like, yep, I'm gonna flee the country somewhere where I can't be extradited. So now, he didn't get a rehabilitation memo in prison, right? So he's not like coming outside and like during the day and becoming a greater guy. No, he's actually following what's happening in the news and in the politics and he's plotting in his cell. So to get extradited, he needs to be furloughed. And who is gonna do this? Well, the Socialist Party and the current Prime Minister. Because he knew at the time Sweden was critical of Soviet Union, invasion of Czechoslovakia and frowned upon like the apartheid in South Africa. And even due to these like really strong political views, like the Prime Minister was still well respected. Also, Sweden was kind of preoccupied at the time because there was still a monarchy and King Gustav favored the Prime Minister, but like King Gustav was also basically at his deathbed at the time. Oh god, I don't know what I listened to, but I put he was a chill monarch. He never wore a crown. <laughs> but was in in health as he was ninety. Basically it's just all how like there are like all these records about how he was actually, you know, down to earth and like speaking to the public. <laughs> Just like chill monarch. Yep, that explains everything, Maya. Please don't put anything else in the script. Fucking elaborate. So in the prison, he forms this plan that he will not be robbing the bank for the money. Well, not only for the money, but for the hostages as well as like a bargaining chip. So safe passage for the lives of the hostages in his head, that's how it works. There were upcoming elections in September. He knew this was the weakness that he can exploit because he knew like prime minister and everybody is going to actually join on to this hostage situation. So he has a better chance of like getting out of the country. Because you know, as like, if they let him, get the fuck out. If the government handles it in such a way where, yeah, he just gets out with the hostages, then they're all gonna be, like, favored. As if. So he's planning this for months and then one day just decides to use his time, use his daytime when he's outside of the prison, to actually put this plan into the action. He was also, like, getting fit in prison, apparently doing a lot of push-ups and squats, which is, yeah, what you, what you do if you wanna get out during the day and rob a bank. And then while he's out, he's setting these eyes and basically going out scouting for which bank would be the best to rob. And, well, boy, did he fail there. Also, could he have not, like, bribed somebody for, like, the plans of the bank for this to have, like, something? Just give me something, man. And who would be the lucky hostages, he wondered. Well, he had Christine, who moved to Stockholm at her fiancé's request. But then that fiddled out. She broke off that engagement and she was supposed to join a social work course in the fall, but actually started enjoying the life in the bank and in Stockholm finally as she broke off that, you know, shit engagement. That's what happens when you cut out shit of your life. <laughs> yes, Christine. Elizabeth was like the bubbly, free-spirited girl who changed different jobs in Sweden. She was looking forward to the weekend as she liked to have fun party um, with her friends and, you know, have that cravish stuff. She was the cashier in the foreign exchange department who had been with the bank for 14 months. This fucking sentence, there's always a pointless sentence that's copy-paste in the script. Small and blonde, she had brown eyes whose essential expression was one of unusual gentleness. Gives me nothing. <laughs> How is this relevant? I don't need her physical description. I mean, if it doesn't serve the purpose. Does it serve the purpose? No. 
fuck's sake. She again kind of was working there, you know, until something better comes along and for her something better was again in the fall, her nursing school. Just literally everybody was just passing their time in this bank. <laughs> kind of like me for the past couple of years just being like, yep, yeah, this is uh, this is not my job. No, my life <laughs> is my job, okay? I just don't, this is a side thing. It's like I have an outlook towards my like actual jobs that I get paid. The way that hood guys consider their side chicks. And I'm like, no, 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 don't mention it. Don't, it does not exist. I don't even kiss her when I make love to her. <laughs> I don't even kiss her when I fuck her. No, no, no. I don't even show remote interest or joy working here. <laughs> Is it obvious I don't share this podcast with anybody in my workplace? Is it? And Birgitta, she had uh, two kids and she loved her family life. So she lived in a suburb, she commuted to the work from where she lived with a civil engineer of a husband and her two daughters. And she was always the super responsible one, the one that where if she was to be late, you would just know something is wrong. You'd be like, yep, this is not like her. This is definitely not like her. Also, I would say, because I'm that person as well, I would say have like keywords, you know, like if you were ever to be in a situation where you get kidnapped or anything. Like, but not something bizarre, okay? Like, if somebody was to give you a call and you wanted it to mean, like, call the police, I'm in danger. Have something like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll be home for dinner. Like, something that's not, like, that nobody can figure out, but only you and the person you're speaking with from your house can figure out. So, like, hey, we never eat dinner, this means something is wrong. Don't let Stockholm Syndrome kick in, yeah? That's the moral of this story. August 23rd will be the day these women acquaint each other under pressure. So this is the very underwhelming case of Stockholm Syndrome and how the term has been coined and the robbery that caused for the term to be coined. Let's discuss the motives behind the story. I put that it was the only thing he knew how to do, plus like the message that he wanted to send. I think it was kind of like we might disagree on the message, but like in my head, this is the only thing I think I'm good at, even though I ended up in prison for, so clearly not the genius. I think his message was, I'm the man, like, I'm the robber, don't compare me to anybody else, this is revolutionary, nobody has done this type of thing before, I'm using hostages as a bargaining chip, and you're like, yeah mate, so is every single robber out there. <laughs> Like, I know it's 1970s, but, like, literally everybody's plan is to use hostages to their own advantage, not to turn them against you. Also, I kept one of his quotes for this. So he said, quote, This is my own story, you understand. To be a thief and a safecracker, that's easy. I've been those, but to take hostages in a bank in the middle of a great capital, there is something. End quote. So obviously he sees this as like a bigger deal than just being a robber. So he's like, no, this is how I'm successful as a robber. I create this bond with the hostages and like I use it to my own advantage. And well, hey, good job. You you coined the term. <laughs> Technically not even you, but the psychiatrist coined the term. But yeah, you caused them to. That's your success of the day. I think as a secondary motive, you could kind of say that this was more political than maybe something else. I really don't think the motivation here was the money. At least it was either, it was something like, some had something to prove together with him trying to actually be the big deal, who is like going to go to a country where he can't be extradited and just live his best life. And he saw the way to do this with the current political situation in Sweden. You know where to find me to let me know what you think. You guys probably might have different opinions because this was a long ass case. It's also like one of the 
most famous robberies, even though it's so underwhelming, so underwhelming. So yeah, send me any stories of you being a part of a bank robbery or hearing of somebody who has been part of the bank robbery, because they will probably be more, give me more life than this story. <laughs> the sources for this podcast have been the New Yorker article, the bank drama. <laughs> hardly, hardly dramatic. The Express article, we were the first victims of Stockholm Syndrome, Wikipedia on Jan Eric Lawson, the journal article where Stockholm Syndrome phase came from, and the hostage episodes, the two-part series on Spotify. That's it. Hope you learned something, even though it was underwhelming as hell. Hope you, like, come out of this enlightened and you're like, ooh, I bet you didn't know where Stockholm Syndrome came from. Let me tell you a story. And then you go on for an hour to tell them this, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do that to your friends. Fuck them up for life. <laughs> Bank robbery stories. I want them in my fucking inbox, okay? Let's put some actual back and drama out there. I'll read them out loud, don't worry. Now, what do we have here? Why sound like an auntie at like a toddler's birthday party? What the actual fuck? But what we have here is yet another channel where you guys can follow me. Did I just smack my leg? Could you hear that? I don't know. <laughs> that bam pod is on Instagram now as well, guys. Instead of just recommending you more podcasts now, what I'm gonna be doing in this first official full week on Instagram is just every day share what podcasts I listen to on a daily basis. So which ones I subscribe to, what got me into them, all of that jazz. You know, like BTS kind of thing. BTS is behind the scenes. <laughs> I love using abbreviations and pretending like they're saving me so much time. And then looking at other people react like, yeah, they're, they're really not. I'm like, mm, they, they really are. The hardest ones for me to learn were TLDR, too long didn't read, and I see why am I, in case you missed it. Yeah, those were like the ones that I could never remember. <laughs> if anybody gave a fuck about that, probably not. So I'll be putting like my podcast in the stories, you know, hashtag my weekly pods or weekly pod bam, something better if I come up with it. Or if you do, you know. So go, find me, follow me. Twitter and Instagram basically have the same handle. How easy do I make it for you? Also, for the listeners in the UK, they finally put Modern Family, like first seven seasons or something, and New Girl, again, six seasons, seven? Eh, I don't know, really. On our Netflix. So go binge on that if you are not done (laughs) with the freaking binging because I'm kind of reaching my very peak limit. For Nick from New Girl, I'll do it. Nick from New Girl is probably my... The one white crush that I had, that I was like, oh, not all white people are ugly. <laughs> it was kind of like, maybe, maybe I could go out with a white man at some point. Yeah, that didn't last for long, did it? And if you're fed up with Netflix, you can always find me on Patreon. Because Stockholm Syndrome is like still bugging me in my head, like after doing this case, I decided to cover the case of Patty Hearst. So that's your May band on freaking Patreon for this month. And now I shall leave you, but not before, not before. You're going into your next Zoom meeting. What are you doing? What are you doing there? We still don't know if the quarantine is over. We still don't know if anything is going to be lifted. How soon it's going to be lifted. So this is the perfect timing. Listen to me, listen. It's the perfect timing to tell your work husband or work wife how you feel. Mm, doesn't matter. Meeting of like 20 people. You, you do you, okay? the meeting starts and you tell them, like, mm, can you just stay a bit after the meeting? Yeah? Can you just um, stay linked um, into this link? Yeah? Stay online. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Wink, wink. And then tell them, you know how you're my work wife? And she's probably going to be like, mm, no, like, this is news to me. What the fuck? And you tell them, well, I told about 100 people, so you might as well be. Mm, that's how you get them. That, that's the punchline. 
or you just use one of your dumb zoom backgrounds to show where you can bring them to show fucking i don't know paris or like mount everest or some shit like in the background be like this is how rich i am this is how i get you promise them the world over promised they don't know they still don't have access to your bank account but also even at best like you're still gonna have at least a couple of days for the awkwardness to pass before you're back in the office with this person so you might as well use it seize the moment unless unless don't fucking listen to me unless you actually have a real wife and then you're giving hope to hopes to some like poor girl who is like apparently a work wife and she isn't even aware of it like then what the fuck are you doing also how much time you have on your hands to be starting a whole new relationship while working from home some people have some serious time for double lives yo question those fuckers yeah mm-hmm. question go question them find motives behind this find how much time how do they still have 24 hours in a day but still live these lives what are the motives behind their actions how do they do this why do they do this it's so much effort <laughs> just lie on your couch man chill yeah go into the meeting and question the intentions of somebody who tells a work wife to stay after <laughs> the zoom call but more importantly keep questioning the motives behind crimes and in doing so keep making the world a better place one motive at a time bye fuckers